Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurs who are changing industries, various social systems, cultural paradigms, and how we govern ourselves. So they cover a broad range of ideas. And if you want to know more about that, you can check the Responsible Entrepreneur book, which talks about how I see people doing that from 15 entrepreneurs I have uh, worked with closely. Well, welcome. I'm very excited to have you on the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast. Would you please introduce yourself and your business and give us just a little bit of what you do for products and services to get us started? Well, my name is Greg Kiesling, and I'm the president and founder of Recycle Force. And Recycle Force is an electronic recycling operation. We are a nonprofit. But what we really do is we're a prison reentry program. We're helping people come home within the first few weeks after they leave prison. And we're helping them find work, gain skills, and help them reconnect with their families and their community. Well, that's exciting. And that's actually, I think, what got me excited with Nick, because I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on in the criminal justice reform space. And there's even a bit going on in the re-entry. But when I listened to that you were finding a way to kind of combine these and make something great happen, I wanted to, I wanted to know more. So t- tell us how, it's probably a little more detail about how in the work this works, how you go about doing it and what you're seeing so far, you know, like how long you've been around, maybe a story that would help us understand how you're having this unfold, if you would, Greg. Well, we've been around for over 13 years, and Recycle Force is an outgrowth of uh, our staffing operation called Keys to Work that helps uh, ex-offenders find work uh, through attempt-to-perm basis. So we've been doing the work 22 years. And I think in the Mm. simplest of terms, we're taking the things society has thrown away, our old TV, our curling iron, our old computer, and the people we have thrown away because they've committed crimes. And we're remaking them into new resources uh, that society can use. So with all of our electronics, and that includes medical equipment, and as I said, uh, curling irons, anything with a cord on it, mm. we're breaking those components through our, uh, our equipment, our shredding systems, uh, into five basic components. Steel, which is on an uptick, uh, thanks to the tariffs that are in place here <laughs> recently. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's a silver lining in all these dark clouds. Uh, 85% of the steel that comes out of Indiana is recycled steel. So we're playing a big role in feeding that. So we have steel, copper, and aluminum, plastics, and then in every single circuit board, or every single device, there's a, a circuit board that contains gold, silver, palladium, uh, and we recover these items, and that's the real driver. Gold, silver, and palladium uh, are the real drivers of our operation Mm -hmm. here. So So, why does does this work for people coming out of prison? I, I know, I mean, Goodwill has recycled, not at this level or this nature of goods, but why is this a particularly good Besides that you can sell it, why does it really serve people? Well, first off, people that are coming to us, many have never worked in their lives. A, a very common trajectory is a person did not graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. They got into the trade of dealing drugs. 
They've been arrested and now they're back. And they owe money to the state for their fees and fines and they have to immediately work, but nobody really wants to hire them because they lack skills. So when we were looking at the things that we could do, we decided we didn't want to make anything because if you were making something and somebody made a mistake, you've got huge bad costs. And at the same time, there was this massive outsourcing going on um, with the manufacturing of project products all over the world. And those products were poorly made in many cases. They were being recalled and they were going into Indiana landfills. And we were watching this at a pretty big level. And we were trying to figure out how to price it to, uh, to be in line with the tipping fees. These large uh, retail companies and all their returns. And recently there's been a little bit of news stories about all the retail returns that are happening. Right. And so Indiana it has a lot of uh, these companies here because we're centrally located. So there's a lot of distribution centers here. But we're also, they're also in Indiana because we had some of the lowest tipping fees um, in the country for these returns. So we, we figured out a way to begin to work with companies and to be competitive. And the environmental movement has helped us. Our friends at the SVN Network were very important in getting these companies to uh, not want to throw everything away into the landfills. Tell, so tell that what, happened. Greg, I have to interrupt you because my mind's getting stuck on what is a tipping fee? Uh, when you take something to a landfill, you have to pay a fee to throw it in the landfill because it has lithium, uh, uh, you know, lithium batteries or mercury, you know, in the backlight tubes of TVs okay. or other, you know, other uh, items that you have to pay for because they have to go into landfill where the landfill has to process it or put them in what are called lined landfills so they don't leach into our groundwater. Okay, got it, thank you. So so they were all paying these dollars and just throwing this massive product away. Um, and we were finally able to begin, it really started with our state. Our state uh, began to provide some amount of material. They saw the connection. Uh, Mitch Daniels was our governor at the time and he saw the connection between taking a product they were throwing away and using it as an opportunity to put people to work. Where they're learning, you know, in our field, we're handling hazardous material. Yeah. So the OSHA trainings, which is safety, uh, how to wear, you know, how to, has com, you know, how to re recognize hazardous material, how to handle it, how to wear, wear your protective equipment. Um, and it's just an important skill that was very, uh, conducive for us to train on in handling this material. And then it also helps our folks gain skills that they can get the better job when they move out into so waste, you know, the waste management field. Yeah, tell me a story of somebody. I'm, I'm, I can kind of see what the, the manufacturing side is. I can't see the people side of this yet. Can you tell me about a person? Oh, I, I, I got to tell them. So, you know, people come immediately into our program out of prison. They're paid $9 an hour. They're told their job is obviously to get their skills and learn how to work safely, but their real job is to get a better job. Okay. One of our big partners is the Department of Public Works. And the Department of Public Works is responsible for all the trash management uh, for the city of Indianapolis. 
So one of my favorite stories is that one of our young men that came in and he had so many problems and I was so worried he would never make it. But he got hired uh, by our Department of Public Works and um, he can't, we meet every morning in a circle. We call it the circle of trust. We leave a seat open for those yet to come and a seat for those who've gone on to bigger and better. Mm. And it's always wonderful to bring somebody who's gone on to come back and talk. So this uh, man came into the circle and it went just like this. Little bros, I'm here to tell you, I know it's hard for you to see you could be like me to be where I am today, but I started just like you. Today, I work for the Department of Public Works. I'm in the union. I make $24 an hour. I'm buying a house. And then he pauses and it says, with a pool, and pauses again and turns his head away from the young men and women in the program and turns back and says, and that pool's in ground. Um, he, he, he lost his house, but he still has his job. He should have never bought the house with the pool. Yeah, that's what but, I was uh, thinking, yeah. Yeah, he lost that house. But that's a, a, a very good example. Um, you know, we have several young men now who can, and older men and women too, that came in the program, got the, the training. The city of Indianapolis is separating its sewer system from its rainwater runoff system. When you had a large rain, the two flowed together into our river, and it was really bad. So we're yeah. putting in new pipes. And so all the men in, uh, and women in the program that worked on the anodizing or coating these pipes and then installing them underground came out of our program. So, so that's just I, that's and when you tell this story of this young man who came back and said, I bought a house at the pool, Part of me wonders, how are you helping them have life skills? Because they clearly need that. He, you know, he finally had Thank some you. How do you work so, on So our work really is a, a training program and a case management. We have case managers here. So we try to hide it. We don't call our case managers case managers. We call them employee assistance representatives. Okay. We're trying to break down the, the language of enablement. And, um, you know, we're trying to help people see how to figure things out through their own. And Eli Lilly is one of the biggest drug manufacturers in the country, and they're located here in Indy. And they've got this elaborate EAP program, and they call the folks their, their employee assistance reps. So, um, in fact, our men and women have nicknamed them the ears because hmm. they figure out they're listening for our problems. <laughs> and so, um, so, really, the biggest case management thing we do is help people manage the criminal justice mandates that have been laid upon them. A typical person in our program is paying $150 a week to the criminal justice system for the privilege of being monitored. It is happening in many places across the country. Ferguson, Missouri got a lot of coverage around fines and fees uh, in this area, but most of us are not really there yet of understanding how much burden is placed on an individual. So a typical person in our program has been ordered by the court to be drug tested randomly. So they have to call into the drug hotline every morning. And that's not where you get your drugs. I always tell people that the drug hotline is to find out if you've been randomly selected. So if you're working at a job outside of us, you have to be able to say, I'm sorry, boss, I need to go downtown to get drug tested today. And most employers can't understand this. 
On top of that, the courts are ordering anger management classes, substance abuse treatment classes. The newest one that all the judges are doing of late is a thing called theft class. When a person gets in a fight with their girlfriend and takes the cell phone, they get ordered to, to theft class. And while these classes in and of themselves can be very good, they're not coordinated very well with employment. And right. so our entire system is set up so you could attend your class, manage your, um, manage your life, and then get as many hours in a work week as you can. So that's kind of the fundamental thing that the most important thing we do. But then on top of that, we're doing the more traditional activities that all case managers, you know, housing and food and helping people get training, which one of the all of most of our training revolves around ha handling hazardous material. One of the top level trainings you can get in our program is called Has Whopper 40. And okay. it's not a bad Burger King sandwich. But it's a, uh, it's a high-level credential you obtain from knowing uh, how to recognize lithium, knowing that lithium mixed with plastic can cause fires, or how to handle mercury safely. And all of the stuff that's in our electronics that we many of us don't really realize is there. And you know, every, if you have one TV and you throw a brick through it because you're frustrated watching all the stuff on it every minute, you're probably okay. But if you've got, you know, thousands of TVs and tens of thousands of TVs that you're regularly yeah. handling, you've got to know how to handle them safely. So there's, so, I know I'm listening through the ears of my listeners now, and I can just hear them asking me a question. This guy who came into the circle, bought a house with a pool and lost his house. What do you do when people get in that kind of trouble? Can can, is there anything that happened with that guy we could close? We, we, he's back in financial plan. You know, so we do have all of the partners, including the banks. We've got really good financial training with our banks. And he was put back into the training program to learn how to manage his money. Okay. He got, you know, as sometimes many of us do, including many of us who've never been to prison, we get our first real job and we buy more house than we can afford to buy. Right. And we have to sell that house and we have to move into a rental property and learn how to manage our, our finances. So that's exactly what this young man got. I don't want to leave out that we're doing all the traditional case management type right. activities that everybody kind of knows about in human services. But we have this, we, we believe that there's this more fundamental thing that needs to happen first, and that's, or, or simultaneously, really, and that's you need to work. You need right. to start framing yourself around your job. You, we have to dignify the work. I mean, this is, you know, if they were working in some other types of companies, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it would be happening really, really fast. Mm -hmm. They would either get it or they wouldn't. There would be unsafe practices. Yeah. They would be paid minimum wage or less. And so what we're trying to do is slow down a lot of our work that we've lost. America's lost some of the foundational work and work ethic um, that we need to bring back. And so we're slowing it down so people can learn in a four to six month period and then their job is to then be, move out into the, with our temp company into the next, these temp opportunities. All right. So, so these are often with, with our same partners. And if they fail those, 
they can come back and start over again. We can learn it what what they what they. Okay, uh, so there's yeah. It sounds like where many of us don't get in life an opportunity to go back and learn again. You're making sure that there is no drop off on the other end, and you fall into the abyss, and then you're back into a recidivism track. This one, you're Correct. trying to keep them in a, a learning process with you. All right, yes. I want to ask a few other questions here because we're going to run out of time pretty soon. Um, how did you get this idea? Where did it come from? You and I don't know whether you did it with other people, but what was the history of it getting set up and the meaning that that had for you when you did it? Well, I'll try to do this very quickly. This is my, so my wife and I lived in Jamaica. I'm married to a beautiful Jamaican. We've been married mm -hmm. 36 years and we lived in Jamaica. We carved a resort out of the bush with no electricity in a place called Negrel back in the height of hippie days for me. And in night, we lobbied to put a sewer line into our town and it closed our resort down for a couple of years. So we were working with people from Indianapolis out of the Rotary Club of Indianapolis. And my wife said, what could he do up there for a year or two? And uh, one of those smart Rotarians said, you know, if Clinton's gonna sign the welfare reform law, there's going to be a need to serve the non-custodial parent of the Tana for welfare mother. And I bet your husband would be great at it. So my <laughs> wife and I came up here and started the staffing arm. And while the staffing arm worked well, there were things we could not do. We couldn't stop work to train somebody to read. We couldn't, we didn't have a place to bring back, you know, if it, the young man I told the story about, if he had gotten fired somehow, I didn't have a, I'd have to find another company to put him in. Yeah. And so through this whole period of time, and we were watching companies close, move operations to China. Um, and we just said, gee, we should start a social enterprise. We didn't know what the term was. We'd started it. And in, oh, it's probably about 2003, I heard the term social enterprise. Yeah. And that's it. I go, oh my God, this is what we're doing. So um, the, the, the staffing arm still remained in place, and we just put this front end of this uh, friendly business where you can make mistakes, and we slowed everything way down so people could come in here and come back here if there were reasons to do that. And in fact, our mayor did a wonderful job. He came, he met Libby Schiff at the U.S. Conference of Mayors back in 14, I think it was. He'd just been elected. And Libby Schiff uh, from Oakland started talking about a little bit of our type of work that's happening out in Oakland. And she looked at the, our mayor and said, what are you doing for him? And our mayor said, I've just gotten elected. Let me figure it out. So <laughs> when he came in and really got his hands around our model, he gave us a name. He said, this is ABC, any job, better job, career. Wow. And so... He earned just those three lines. He earned his uh, yeah <laughs> his job, job with us. Mayor Jill Hogsett has been a great supporter of ours too. So uh, tell me what you're challenged by now. Uh, I mean, I'm I I don't even understand how you get funded. I can guess at that. Say a little bit about that. But also, what challenges are you facing that you are always looking for help on, or always looking for partners or engagement? Just a little bit of well, that. First, first of all, about half of our revenue is generated from the uh, business operation, the gold, the silver, the copper, the steel, and all that. Okay. And um, we are always trying to learn how to increase our revenue. 
there is a tipping point for me that if I have to increase revenue too much, then I can't hire the marginalized people. I have to have people that can show up that don't have to leave for the drug test and get held in by the work release uh, facilities and all the different barriers that they face created by criminal justice. So what I, we've said is this, what we call 50-50. And uh, we're, you know, 50 cents of every dollar we, uh, we have comes from grants or philanthropic support. And the other 50% comes from our revenue. Okay. And we've been up as high as 60-40 one way and 60-40 and the other way, depending on commodity prices and the availability of grants. We've been funded primarily by federal grants through the United States Department of Labor. Mm. We are very fortunate to have been, participated in the largest study ever done on this work. Our work is called a transitional job. I mm. should have got that out earlier. This is what it is. So um, we are one of only two people in the country that's had a return on investment with our work. And we owe a lot of it to the social enterprise we were the only group studied that had this type of social enterprise. Uh, but the federal government has been our, you know, our main funder. We've gotten about $9 million from the United States Department of Labor over the last six or six years or so. And we're going to bat, we're working to bid for more United States Department of Labor dollars right. uh, here coming up as well. But the challenge is that our local community and our, my board, too, would like to see more stability. As you can imagine, the yeah. federal dollars are like a roller coaster. And uh, they've been a recent, a little more roller coaster than normal. Um, but um, the, uh, the board in our community would like to see us level it out. So the challenge is figuring out how to replace uh, this with philanthropic support, with you know donors, with more local uh, ability to raise money. And uh, the difficulty is finding this amount of money. Uh, we've already, wow. you know, gone from serving 350 to 400 people a year down to 100. And we've seen a crime spike. You know, it's not, I can't correlate it uh, directly to our lack of service, but I'm positive in my heart that it is because we're serving people that are at a high risk of committing crime. Right, and if we can engage them in productive activities, we are the we bend the curve on it. We don't stop all crime. About seventeen percent of our people end up going back to prison. Well, that's uh, not bad, given the normal. No, percent. thank you. But and I think for your listeners, the most important thing, no matter where you are in the country, probably anywhere from half to two thirds of yeah. the people who get returned did not commit a new crime. They had a violation of their release criteria, often, especially in states like Indiana or down south, it's related to not having enough money to pay the fines and the fees oh, uh, sent, sent to us. And um, it should break your heart. It should break everybody's heart in this country. And many of my progressive friends uh, are only waking up to this issue and how, and in a way, what's helped people wake up is because there's less um, illegal labor in the country right now. Employers are having to turn and look at this population for the first time since back at Clinton's welfare, welfare to work days right. in 96, when we were all 
committed to try to figure out how to do something. But we're back there again today. All right. And um, so there's some real opportunities here. So to tell change people, the, do you have a website? Do you, if people want to know more, they want to follow up with you, how would they find you? Give them your full name, the name of the uh, organization again, and some contact info. Well, our website is www.recycleforce.org. And it's spelled just like it sounds. And uh, we capitalize the F. The force is very important in our recycle operation. Yeah. Uh, our telephone number, if somebody wants to call, is 317-532-1367. I encourage people to find the research uh, that's at the United States Department of Labor's research arm uh, or research site, or better, they could dial mdrc.org and find our research there. Uh, the, the cities that participated um, in the uh, study were San Francisco, Milwaukee, Dallas-Fort Worth, Atlanta, New York City, Syracuse, and lowly little Indianapolis. And we're the one that had the big out, uh, outcomes. And on our website, you can find that research at recycleforce.org uh, forward slash research. Well, Greg, this, is, this has been an uplifting and also disturbing conversation, which I'm sure people experience a lot. And I knew I wanted to talk to you when I met Nick at SVN. And thanks, Nick, for making that connection. I uh, will uh, look forward to finding out what happens next. And thanks for taking the time to talk with us very, very much. Carol, if I could just say happy to, or say hello to all my SVN friends, because I'm sure many of them will be listening to this. So Greg Kiesling says hi. SVN put us on the map yeah. with the Social yeah. Innovation Award in 2009. Yeah, well, they're wonderful. All right, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.